Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Doze Knows. I'm actually down under in Australia right now, having a great time going to all the surf contests and out there hunting some killer animals and whatever else comes across my way. But this is going to be a really good episode. Uh, but before we get going, I want to thank all my sponsors, the people that make this happen every single week. And the first one is GoPro. GoPro is awesome. They're those little tiny cameras that you guys use. Um, whether you're surfing or snowboarding or skateboarding, GoPro is transforming the way people visually capture and share their lives. What began as an idea to help athletes self-document themselves engaged in their sport, GoPro has become a standard for how people capture themselves engaged in their interests, whatever they may be. From extreme to mainstream, professional to consumer, GoPro enables the world to capture and share its passion in the form of immersive and engaging content. For more information, visit www.gopro.com or connect on any of the social media outlets. Look for GoPro on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and whatever other ones that are out there. Um, I want to thank my friends over at Original Nutritionals. Um, that's Original Nutritionals. These guys aren't your regular uh, meathead supplement brand. It's just pure, basic, and essential foods and supplements to support what they call a clean athlete lifestyle. My good friend and partner, Logan, founded the company with a food-first approach. He's been working with average men and women like you and I to the best action sports stars and team sport athletes in the world. These guys know how to do it, right? Um, if you head over to OriginalNutritionals.com and grab what you need, just for listening, all you got to do is enter in promo code DOZENOSE at checkout and you get 15% off. That's 15% off with those nose at checkout. You can also find these guys on Instagram at Original Nutritionals. I also want to talk, thank uh, my friends down at Deuce Gym in Venice Beach. Logan also owns that gym. It's a really great gym. I go there when I'm in LA just to work out, get ripped. You guys know how ripped I am. I'm just like six packed out, buff. Yeah, it's all because thanks to Logan. You know, they get you guys in there and, and and they work on whatever you need worked on. You know, it's not just, hey, let's throw you in the fire. You know, they have personal trainers that will help you get healthy, achieve what you're looking for, whether it's CrossFit or strongman training or just cardio or weight training. These guys know how to do it. Go see Logan and all the peeps down at Deuce Jam in Venice Beach. And you can find them on Instagram as well, Deuce Jam. also want to talk about my friends down at Hurley. Bob Hurley, one of my good friends. Long-time friend. I've known him forever. I remember the day he started the brand back in 1999. At that time, surfing was just all about being cooler than the other guy and keeping it as exclusive as possible. With the launch of Hurley, Bob changed the perception of what surfing can be. For him, it's all about positivity, inclusiveness, making the absolute best product, and empowering the next generation. Fast forward to today, and his vision has never been more relevant. Hurley makes the best board shorts in the world, on the planet, hands down, all the top people 
are riding, you know, that are surfers are wearing their clothes from John John, Carissa Moore, um, Connor Coffin, who just joined the tour. He's on there. But there's so much more to the brand um, from their partnership with Nike to their work on clean drinking water to, uh, you know, just just awesome stuff that this company is doing. Hurley is the brand of now and tomorrow for surfers and anyone else in getting in the water. Go check them out at Hurley.com. You can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Hurley.com. Um, you know, when I'm home, the way I start my day is I get my son off to school and I race down to Kona Coffee and Tea. Uh, if you've ever been to Kona, you know we have the best coffee in the world. And it's grown on the slopes of Hualalai Mountain. Well, that's where Kona Coffee and Tea get their coffee. And they bring it down right to us, fresh, every day, roasted, so that we can... Uh, Get, get our morning crack on, you know, get all jacked up in the mornings, get our day started. I walk in there, I see all my friends. I walk walk in there, I see the girls behind the counter, they all greet me with a big smile. They say, hey, Dozer. They have my cup ready for me. It's like they're watching me pull into the parking lot and they're like, oh, there's Doze here. Ah, girls, get the coffee ready. So <laughs> these guys are awesome. Go in there, go see them. Um, tell them you heard this on Doze Nose. They'll totally take care of you. And you might see me down there in the mornings because that's where I'm at. Um, and you guys also know I'm a big fan of the ocean and I picked the Big Island to be my home because of its amazing waters and mountains and everything that it has to offer. But if you're planning on spending time in my backyard on the Big Island, Doze knows the first stop. First stop should be Kona Boys. They've been serving up gear for island life in Aloha since 1996. They're the one-stop shop for ocean fun, operates a legit selection of local style activities, including historical va'a rides, paddleboard tours and lessons, and one of the only companies permitted to do kayak tours in Kealakekua Bay. So if you need to rent boogie boards or surfboards or bikes or any other beach goodies, Kona Boys is your spot. You can also go down there and get trained, trained, I'm sorry, you can get advice from trained water people who care about your experience in the water and who also care about the health and preservations of our natural resources. Um, go see Brock and Frank down there. These guys are awesome. They own it. They've got two different stores. One is down at the King Kamehameha Beach Hotel. It's the beach shack down there. It's right at Kamakahonu Bay. And these guys will give you lessons on stand-up paddle boards, take you out, swim with the dolphins. They come in every single day. I go out there. It's such a good workout. Anyone can do it. Or you can go down to their main store down in Captain Cook. And you can get kayaks to go down into Kalakakua Bay, see where Captain Cook's monument is where he discovered Hawaii, also where <laughs> he died. Yep. Um, but nobody's going to kill you there. It's, it's, it's a great place. These guys love you when you walk in the door. They've got all kinds of cool stuff. Uh, the shop, their name brand stuff. Go see them. Also, you can go to konaboys.com and 
find anything that you need there. You can also make reservations there. Um, they're the one-stop shop for everything you need. If you go to KonoBoys.com or go to any one of their shops, say you heard it on Doe's Nose, you will get 15% off immediately. So that's a pretty cool deal. Well, thank you guys. Uh, this is a really, really good show. I'm down in Australia right now, but a few weeks ago, I was able to sit down with a good friend of mine, Vava Ribeiro, and he is from Brazil, and he's a fashion photographer, just an all-around awesome guy. He's got a great story, and we're going to get to it. We're going to hear what Vava has to say. So let's give a big warm welcome to Vava Ribeiro. Hello, everybody. Aloha. 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 This episode of Doe's Nose is right here on the North Shore of Oahu. We're sitting up in a house above Sunset Beach, and I'm sitting with one of my good friends and one of um, somebody I'm super, super envious about because he has the most amazing job, Vava <laughs> Ribeiro. This uh, Vava is from Brazil, uh, Rio de Janeiro, right? Yep. And Vava, you are a photographer. You're somebody I've known for a long time. That's right. Um, and you have the job that every one of us guys dream about. <laughs> you get to photograph or how take photos of some of the most beautiful women in the world. <clears throat> well, some ugly men as well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you just did a commercial I know last week for uh, what Corona or something like yeah, that. Yeah, Corona. Yeah. And now you're about to leave here and go to the Dominican Republic on Monday. That's right. And do a photo shoot of some supermodels on the beach. <laughs> What's up with that, brother? It's not. Well, you know, it's uh, it's funny you said that because a lot of people think that I do have like the dream job, and and it's always like you in some beautiful paradise surrounded by pretty women in their bikinis, and it's not necessarily that all the time. Actually, that's a very in my in my in my case, I do photograph a lot of life lifestyle, a lot of portraits, and a lot of other things among the lines, but <clears throat> the time that you get to spend um, on a shoot taking photos of pretty women, it's very limited. Oh, and when, sure. and, when you, and it's a rough job, It's too, a rough job. It? I mean, you know, like when you... You stand in the sun all day and yeah. look at hot chicks. And <laughs> Man, trust me, like you, the, the, the days that lead up to, that, to, the, shoot, to, day, to the day that you're shooting are quite stressful because there's so many obligations and people say hey you can't do this and you can't do that and their agents come in and then you come up with an idea and then they always deny your ideas and then when you're on set you have to be super sharp and professional and do not look um, 
into Pervy. anything. Because <laughs> no, I'd be I, looking pervy. Well, you know, it's I'd funny be because... Like, Here, let me fix that bikini string right there. You should be my assistant. I would love to be your assistant, please. <laughs> you should come in my shoes. I will be in the Dominican Republic next week, people broadcasting live. It's funny, though, because you look through the, through the lens and you're, like, you're looking at technical you know, aspects of the photograph. You're, you're, right. You remove yourself from that situation then you just have to think about the photograph yeah that's why I could never be a photographer <laughs> but um, why don't you tell me some of the famous people that you've taken photos of because your work's all over the place dude you're you know not just you know we're joking around about you know these supermodels and stuff but really you are one of the most talented photographers I know Wow, that's and, that's a that's a far stretch but thank you yeah I've I've had you come out to the big island and just do some killer lava photos and yeah I, I use photography to investigate the surroundings around me I use photography to plunge into the world you know like it's always it's funny because it's never this on or off you never like on a nine to five situation mm -hmm. photography is always with you like I go on vacation I'm taking photographs you know I go to sleep at night I'm taking photographs so it's never that you know you never it's never black or white. You're always in the middle of it. Um, and I've always, like, tried to make a mix of interesting things, like people that I know, people that I like, my friends, like how I, like how I met you guys. It's right. um, the way that I end up, like, coming to Hawaii. It's actually interesting because since I was a kid back in Rio, <clears throat> you know, there was, no, there was no internet. There was no Facebook. There was nothing like that. And, and the only window into the surfing world was buying uh, American magazines, surfer or surfing, and they would only come once a month. One or two issues would come um, in one newsstand in Rio. Wow. So you have to like be fast and be at that newsstand the day that the magazine arrived, and you would buy that magazine, and all of your friends would come and look into the magazine with you, or you have to pass it along to your friends. It was like more like a magazine club. Right. That we had. This is me when I was maybe like 12 to 16. How old were you when you first started surfing? Nine. Nine. Yeah. So we're talking about like early 80s magazine, surfing magazines from the early 80s and stuff. So it was amazing because like if you had the magazine, you had the power. You had the knowledge of what was going on. You had, you know, what kind of boards they were writing, what kind of waves they were, you know, what kind of maneuvers they were doing, who was the hot guy and so on. So... Through those years, I felt like I, 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 there was always like the, the Hawaiian issue. Like, you know, after the winter, there, there was always going to be like pictures of pipeline, sunset, back all the waves and all the guys were doing well in Hawaii. So Hawaii has always been like this mecca for surfing. And, and there's a huge <coughs> Brazilian influence here on the North Shore. Yeah, I mean, now... And it's probably because of that. Well, it's funny. I mean, I, this is a different aspect, but... Um, let me just finish this point that I was, that I was trying to pick because in my case I, I grew up watching those magazines and looking at those magazines and um, and I it's kind of like in my mind it built up this idea of this paradise of this place and it was almost like I knew everything about Hawaii if I closed my eyes I knew exactly where who and what was going on but I never got to come to Hawaii you know and then throughout the years, maybe like 15 years later, when I was like maybe in my 20s, mid-20s, uh, yeah, I started to come to Hawaii and then walk around this place. 
and get hit by memories of those magazines by, right. by sort of like the surf spot you used to see yeah and, like it's yeah. almost like a deja vu like I was walking around with this crazy deja vu this familiarity of the place but I have never been there before it was a really strange and then I used photography to play with that so that's why I've been always coming here and photographing and trying to make photographs that look like my dreams when I was a kid look like my memories when I was a kid so and Hawaii has that power you know Hawaii has that energy and then also Everywhere you look, it looks like a somewhere like a portal to a different dimension. You, you turn around, there's a rainbow. You you look that way, there's a beautiful sunset. The waves are huge and perfect. All the guys look, you know, everyone looks like a a, a, a biblical, you know, character. It, it's pretty wild. So, you know, going back to photography, that's that's kind of like how I I use it to approach into something that's part of who I am. And as far as being a lot of Brazilians in the North Shore, I mean. <clears throat> Hawaii, it's it, in a way, it has a very similar um, lifestyle to Brazil, and more very laid back, very laid back island style. Exactly. If everyone goes to the beach, if everyone wears nothing, same climate. Exactly, same climate, same same temperature, sunny. In a way, like you know, um, you don't need much to be happy. And uh, Brazil has that, like Brazilian people there, you know, they don't have money, but they go to the beach and they have music, you know, and then they have the sun and, and, and natural resources, and then they're happy, you know. And, and in Hawaii, you, you come here and it's, it's a beautiful place, they have amazing, you know, fruits and vegetables, there are things right here, and then amazing waves, and there's not much you need to, to find um, happiness here, you know. In that way, so it's easy for Brazilians to come and... And then feel feel is like it is home. it pretty tough to live over in Brazil? I know Rio, that's where you're from. You're from, you know. I've never been there, but I personally have seen all the photos where it's just houses stacked on top yeah. of houses. Yeah, and it looks really tough. You know, I know there's a lot of jujitsu and fighters that come out of Brazil. Yeah, I you know, and from what I know is you know it's a tough life. Yeah, living in Rio. It's a it's a I mean. The whole, I mean, Brazil in itself, it's a difficult country for that sense because we have a very corrupt, corrupt government mm -hmm. and the division of, what do you call it, of wealth, it's very unfair. So we have the, the, the very like one or two percent There is no middle rich class. on the top. Right. And then you have, you know, a very squished middle class that is always like verging either to one side or the other, most likely to the bottom side of the pyramid. Um, and then the rest, I have the rest of the population, which is people struggling to make ends meet, like seriously struggling to make ends meet. There's no support from the government. It's not like you're going to go and get a loan and start your own business. And where, where, where did you fit into this <clears throat> growing up? Well, I grew up, I was very fortunate that I grew up in Rio in a time where it was still I mean now it's always been rough and it's always been and I think it, that social changes that need to happen in the country are we're not we're not happening within one or two presidents it has to be coming from a long it's like a long term process just like you're in America <clears throat> yeah um, but you, you you know it's um, it's a very unfair there's no like a um, I can say there's no like a lot of opportunities for people sure. to come from nothing and then make their ends meet. The the greatest platforms for opportunities are sports, and that's why you see like a lot of the soccer player guys. They come from the slums. They come from nothing, and then they have a natural talent, 
and then they exercise that and then when they have a great chance they dive into that like there's no tomorrow and that's why the brazilian part of the the fighting world now is getting so big yeah also like you know because first it was just soccer <clears throat> well also like you know jiu-jitsu is an art that came um it was pretty much developed in, in brazil you know it, it was it was fine-tuned by the gracies and then the so on the 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 after um Math or what they started now is this, you know, amazing athletes and people who are taking this category of jiu-jitsu and then in the in the ultimate fighting and all the other categories into the next level and turning that into, I mean, a whole world in itself, a lifestyle in itself. Um, but in any other sport, like that's one, jiu-jitsu is one, um, soccer is another one, and then now you see it on surfing. You know, a lot of guys that right. come. We've got two new. The last two years are world champs. Yeah are the first ever Brazilian world champs, Adriana de Souza and Gabriel Medina. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, those guys, you know, specifically Adriano, you know, like he, I don't know him personally. I know his story, and to me, it's a familiar story. There's always someone that you know that was born from sure. the slums and, and the kid. I mean, it's actually, it's a sad story because, I mean, I'm in Rio, um, the slums are right there where you are. It's a very strange and wild contrast because you have within the same um, neighborhood the wealthiest people in Rio and then you look around the corner and then you have the slums and you have the poorest people in Rio they live in side by side and the contrast is so you know um, it's so evident you can see it happening right there so by growing up in Rio on the beach and you hear the stories of people um they are from the slums. Some kids are from the slums. Some kids are good surfers from the slums. And some of them making through the lifestyle. Some of them making to the world tour. Some of them making to the competition. And some of them, they got, you know, they got swerved into the other side. And then next thing you know, they're dealing and then carrying drugs for the quartel. You know, selling drugs on the street. And then next thing you know, those kids disappear. They get killed. They die. And it's a, it's not like a, a, a fairy tale story. It's, it's a, real. It's real. It's right there. Like, oh, yeah, you know, you know that kid, that kid used to ride, you know, the goofy kid that used to take off behind the rock in Ecuador, and then, you know, that kid from Leblon. Yeah, yeah, that kid, cool. Yeah, you know, he got shot last week. He was selling Coke on the streets, and he got shot. Now, you guys just recently lost one of your pro surfers to an incident like that. Yeah. Uh, a top pro. And um, did you know him? I never met Ricardo personally, no. But I, I've seen him surfing plenty of times, and he was a favorite out at pipe. He was a heavy charger. Yeah, pipe he was a he was a charger. I mean, from everyone that I know that knew the guy was completely touched and and devastated because he was a really good guy, a good soul. Um, Just a in the very wrong good place example. At the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't again. This goes back into the the system that's been you know corrupt for many generations, and you know. The story, I'm not really clear about what happened. I think the guy who shot him was a policeman. He used to be a policeman or something. So it's like this sort of like a sad story that it's very hard to, to pinpoint who are the real criminals in Brazil. Politicians are criminals. Cops could be criminals. Sure. You know, it's, it's sad. 
Um, so how were you able to get out of this? You know, you're you're a fairy tale story right here. Well, right you now. know, I wasn't born into the slums. You know, I have I have a good family. I was I was lucky enough that my parents have enough money to provide me, took me to good schools. Mm-hmm. You know, I traveled with my parents uh, outside of the country when I was young. You know, I learned how important it is to have um, a perspective that you know there are other things outside of your. Of, the, of your bubble, you know, the people that you know and where you live. And I've, and I've kind of exercised that all my life. I have families and friends all over the world, wherever I go. But I was fortunate enough to, 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 to be born in a, in a situation where everything was easy for me, in a way. You know, I had food, I had school, I had everything that I needed. You know, I'd say middle class, Brazilian middle class in the 80s. So I took that and... and, uh, and um, and I was lucky to, to meet the right people along the way and also persistent enough to, to be brave, you know, and, and, and just, just keep going, you know, with my ideas. Now, uh, how old were you when you, when you finally decided, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here and I'm going to go make something for myself? <laughs> oh, it was funny because I, I was 17, 18, and then um, I was a, a, it was a difficult time in Brazil because the economy was really shitty. And there was not a lot of perspective, and I was personally bored. I was bored. I was I was not having a good time. I had broke up with a girlfriend at the time. I used to compete surfing juniors, and and then at the t- I never saw, you know, becoming a professional surfer. I I was way more into traveling and 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 exploring and photographing things and playing around. So I just decided to. I finished college. Um, and in Brazil, it can take a break. So I took like six months break in college. I did the graphic design. Mm-hmm. And then I bought a ticket that was going to go Rio, New York, and connecting a flight from New York to Paris. And then in Paris, I was going to get a train and go down to the coast and just be down there and surf and meet up with some friends who were working in a farm and then just be a beach bum for a couple of months and see what the fuck was going to happen to my life. Right. You know, that period, that. like, you know, like 18, 19, uh, like, okay, I, I got to go out there. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I've tr- by then I've, I, have, I had already traveled a little bit, you know, like, um, it was funny because like uh, growing up traveling through South America, like Peru and Chile and specifically Peru, we had tourists back then, you know, and it, it kind of like forms you, it kind of teaches you how to be a good traveler, like be smart, you know, be attentive to danger or be aware of opportunities, you know, be simple at the same time. And, you know, and I, that's what I did. I got, I had a board that I loved. I got a camera. I contacted some friends in, uh, in New York that I, that I could stay with for a night or two. What kind of camera did you have? It was a Nikonus 5. Yeah. It was just one camera that was like you could shoot it outside of the water, you could shoot it in the water, and I took that camera with me. And uh, and I did that, and I, I bought a ticket. The ticket was Rio, New York, New York, Paris. So I took the flight, I went to New York, and I had a friend living in New York at the time, and I said, hey man, can I stay, can I surf your couch for the weekend? He's like, sure. So I got to New York, he picked me up at the airport, we just had a hurricane. So we never made it to New York. We went straight to Montauk. We surfed for like three or four days. I lost my flight. And then after that, we came back to the city. And I finally got to see the city. And this is the funny part. And this is how destiny plays into it. Because when I got back into New York, it was like a Monday. And my flight was a Friday. So I said, perfect. I'm going to be here for one week. I'm going to hang out and see everything that's happening in the city. My English wasn't any 
decent, so everything was kind of still foreign to me. And I got to New York on Monday, Tuesday, I went around, and then on Wednesday, I wake up, and I opened the newspapers, and it says Pan Am, which was the airline that I had bought my ticket from, closed down. Wow. So I was stuck in New York. And again, this is like no web, no emails, nothing. You had to go uptown, stand in line. To get a refund. Get a, get a, get a number, and then come back a couple of days later. This was the biggest airline in America sure. that was being dismantled. So, and there, there, was no, there were no computers at the time. So like, I had to go back and get the number and come back in three days. I was like, all right. So I never came back. I took, my, I took like a month before I even went back into that ticket. And at the time, some of my some friends of my friends were photo assistants, and I had done photography, and photography has always been around me and my family and and so on. So I hang out with those guys, and one day they say, "Hey, you want to come around and be a photo assistant one day, and come around the studio, make coffee, clean up the the, the backdrop, and just be handyman." I'm like, yeah, and that's kind of how it all started. Like I started to become a photo assistant, and then. It was natural to me because I knew about photography and, and everything found the right place. And now, I, did you end up working for like some agency or something? Uh, no, I went I went working freelancing for different photographers. Uh-huh. I was a trainee because I didn't have a visa or anything like that. I was just on my tourist visa traveling around and I wasn't technically working, but I was learning. You know, I was hanging around with those guys and watching what they were doing while I was figuring out my ticket to France. And that kind of like got extended and next thing you know like five months went by and then I was really into it I became really pretty good assistant at the time and then that's how my career started like I went to France and then I went to Biarritz for a second and went back to Paris and I assisted more photographers there and then by then like a year later I came back to New York and just started to like you know get better and and learn more about photography and develop my own style and looking for things that I wanted to do and this is a um, you know it's something that doesn't come overnight you have to like keep paying your dues absolutely and again one more time like this is a time where photography was photography like in a sense of go to the lab pick up the film shoot develop take it to the dark room print in a dark room look at the results everything is very manual look there was no digital there, there was, was no, no digital there was no there was no sense flash of flash drives no no sense of urgency like the photographer will come to you like you're gonna go to the city you're gonna buy 400 rolls of film and you're gonna go and we're gonna shoot this thing and every roll is gonna have a name it's gonna have a, a letter and a number and you're gonna log everything that we shot so we know what to do with every single role and what was in every single role. Very intricate and complicated work, but that kind of like, you know, got me to the place where I was comfortable enough doing this thing over and over and over. So it's funny because like, I guess our generation, my generation saw everything changing from analog to digital mm-hmm. within music, you know? Like, and how old are you now, Vava? I'm 46. 46. 26. Yeah. 36. Yeah. I'm, 96. I'm right there with you. Yeah. I think I'm 27. Yeah. Okay. Hey. Yeah. Okay. Good morning, Good Let you guys work. Have a good serve. We're gonna. Yeah. We'll By the way, what's your name? Diego. What's Diego. I've met before. I'm Dozer. Dozer. Welcome Dozer. to my podcast. You're on right now, live. Oh, that's good, man. Yeah, where are you from? Diego. I'm from Brazil. It's nice meeting you. Nice to meet you. Nice meeting you, people from the the podcast going yeah. on. Yeah. And just a, just a little window here. Like Diego is a really good surfer. He he came here because he worked with Volcom Brazil. Right. 
um, the whole family, he's a, he's a brother of, of my girlfriend. And the whole family surf, the, the brothers, the father, the, yeah. everyone. Yeah. And you met Lila in uh, yes. Tavarua. Those are the one who is a Tavarua guy. Yeah, my sister is a really nice, my, nice girl. Bava joined the family. We're all in the same mix. And it's <laughs> nice. all about energy at the end, you know? Yeah, it is. Getting a barrel or getting good food or raising your kids or at the end. That's what life teaches you. So it's, I'm pretty sure you guys are having a good talk here because it has a good energy and it's a beautiful place. And that's all we are pretty much looking for every day. Well, welcome to the family because, like I said, Bob is my brother. Okay. And Lila, I just love her to death. <laughs> so now that I know that you're her brother, I'm super stoked. Big family. Big family. My Brazilian happy. family is getting bigger every day. Yeah, I'm happy to hear that. And, you know, it's just um, Brazil. It's a beautiful place. Whenever you're down there, just... Those are coming down to Rio, huh? Let us I know. I want to come to Rio. I want to come to Rio. I like bubbles. Oh, no. And Brazil, there's a lot of bubbles. We're going to get your girlfriend down there. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, I, and, you know, being that I was doing a Brazilian podcast today, I went and got me some acai. Oh, right. And a... Well, well you, you had an acai, which is the berry everybody knows by now. And then you had a coxinha. 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 Oh, coxinha. Yeah, coxinha. It's okay. just a, It's like a sort of like a fried pastry with chicken. Right. I haven't I haven't eaten that one yet. Oh, you had a pastel. I had the pastel. Pastel. With heart of palm. Exactly. Like, dude, that thing was so good. It's called pastel de palmito. I was gonna say, like, down there we got good flavor, good colors, good tastes, good food, great culture, just interesting mix. Yeah. Yeah, should come when you have a time. I will. It was nice. Obrigado. Obrigado. <laughs> <laughs> that's my only Brazilian I know. Yeah. But actually, that's Portuguese. Because um, in Brazil, there's a huge Portuguese influence. Yeah, Brazil was 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 colonized by the Portuguese. Discovered and colonized by the Portuguese. Right. Well, you know, this, all, all I know is uh, this pastel yeah. was so good. <laughs> and this acai. Now, understand, we got this out of a truck, a food truck yeah. on the North Shore. That is killing it. I think you were, they're just selling the greatest stuff on the planet. And they're killing it. They're making a ton of money. Yeah. So if you guys want to start a new business other than a podcast or rival mine, <laughs> go open up a food truck <laughs> on the North Shore. People will buy. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's funny because um, uh, you, you're talking about Brazilians, a lot of Brazilians coming over and stuff. So it's funny because you got here and then the, the typical stuff that you find there, like acai is one that got, you know, blown up, but and pastel and and tapioca and, and all those things are typical tapioca is from brazil yeah really yeah love tapioca you know the the, the the tapioca that they're making wraps and stuff no not the one that you drink oh okay well i was thinking more of the tapioca pudding no 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 like they actually make tapioca uh powder mm -hmm. and out of there you make like a little uh sort of like a pancake or a crepe and then you put food on the top and that works serves as a bread or anything that you want to yeah, super good and super healthy as well. I totally need to come to Brazil. And when's the best time to go during Carnival? Um, it depends on what you're looking for. You know, like I, I usually like Brazil in September because it's mellow. It's like locals only, not that many tourists, not that expensive. Still good waves, good weather. It's pretty dry and sunny. 
you go you come through the carnival you know it's 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 a mayhem it's like f- crazy like there's through the week of carnival which goes from a Tuesday from a Wednesday from Friday to the next Friday there're about per day 120 block parties so every single neighborhood in Rio has a block party. They shut down the streets. Everyone comes up dressed up as much the way that they want it. Mm-hmm. In Brazil, you're allowed to drink in public on the streets. So everybody comes in, and they have their beers, they have their drinks, and they're just dancing to the music. And they, they're all kinds of fun stuff and mm-hmm. wild stuff happens. Plus all the killer food, too. <laughs> And and other weird stuff too. And so, other weird stuff. So I, I didn't want to go there, but you know, if you're if you want to come during carnival, just be prepared to like you know, endure um, pain and pleasure. Yes, and I'm all about that. <laughs> Absolutely, but let's get back to your story here. Yeah. Um, so you end up going, getting stuck in New York, start becoming a an assistant. Yeah, I started and, a photo and start training. Yeah. Uh, when was it that you started to go off on your own and, and you know, start getting recognition from other from yeah. your peers and everybody going, hey, yeah. Baba is yeah. really good. It's a fun, it's actually, you know, I, not to be self-centered, but like I feel like everybody's got a Cinderella story within their own stories and this is the Cinderella story of my life in a way because first to get to New York and then second to be stuck there with the Pan Am ticket that wouldn't fly me away, then I had to make you know ends meet and somehow learn what I wanted to do and 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 see that instead of being a bummer as an an opportunity to like be in a different place and learn something different and then next thing you know I found my own call Um, but the the things started to happen to me when I by then I was assisting for about three years I had traveled, like I'd be in New York for a little while, then I go to Europe for a little while, then I go to different places for a little while, like went to Australia for a little bit as well. Um, <clears throat> when I came back from all this trip and I was in New York, I got an invite to go to Brazil, go back to Brazil and work at a magazine. At that time, photography, like fashion photography and all the people that I was assisting, I, I felt that was a good job. I felt that was cool. It was the time where like supermodels were in, like the very first supermodels were in. Right. I'm talking about before C- Giselle. I'm talking about you know. Um, Rachel Cindy, Hunter. Cindy Crawford, <laughs> you know Linda Evangelist, all those like you know the very first kind of like super plasticky and cheesy and and sexy. But um, not you, this Rachel is, Hunter. This <laughs> this is before Victoria's Secret. So. Right. And I, and I thought that was like cool, but I, I thought it was like very, you know, it wasn't expressing the type of photography that I was into. I felt like there was a world that was too fake and too build up. And it was kind of like empty for me. So when I got this invite to go to Brazil and work for this magazine, they invited me to come and travel the world, do what I was doing, but taking photographs of different places and different people and writing stories about it. So I took the job, I went back to Brazil after all that, and I stayed in Brazil for two years. And I decided to write, and I wasn't taking that many photos anymore. I was just writing. And then that kind of like got my head to think what I was trying to say. And then I went back to taking photos a couple years later. But somehow my mind was 
had a voice. I, I knew what I wanted to photograph and how I wanted to portray things. And at the same time, photography, fashion photography became way more interesting. Um, there was right after the supermodels and there was right after the whatever the, the heroin chic was happening. You know, this is when like people were trying to photograph fashion stories and do portraits with with models and everything was like a blurry line between what was glamour and what was reality. This is the grunge years. This is like Kurt Cobain and, and Nirvana and people were like seeing fashion and life and people and celebrity and music and everything in a in a more uh, it was like a new wave in a way you know like a, in the 90s early 90s <clears throat> what was that not like like 92 94 right like between like yeah mid 90s I'd say so I went back into photography and um, I was in New York at that time on an assignment for that magazine that I was working in Brazil a magazine called Trip and I bumped into some people that I knew from when I was assisting and then one of them said to me, look, I'm, I'm looking for photographers to represent here in America. I always like you, I always like your talent, I like the things that you do, and I want to represent you. And I said, well, um, things are, are different now. I'm in Brazil, and that, that requires like a lot of changes. I have to come back to New York and be based here. That would take me like about six months to get back until you know the swing of things here. He said, no problem, I'll send you the documents and you send me a passport and we see what happens and a month later I was back in Brazil I got a letter from the government of America from the embassy saying that you know welcome to the United States somehow they gave me like a like a eight-year visa to work and be no here way. and then I called the agent and said hey look if you have any jobs coming up I'm I'm down to come back to New York and try it again or try it photography now I'll give up being a reporter I'll give up writing and you're done being an assistant and I'm done being an assistant I feel you're like more it's like a, a subcontractor or a freelance yeah so I was like you know what now it's time to go for the big league so let's get back to New York give me a couple months to work on a on a volume of images that I really feel like I can do like mm -hmm. there was a voice in my head there was a sort of poetry there's voices in my head all the time <laughs> me too <laughs> um, but uh I had a, I had a vision, you know, like it's one of those things. Like I feel like everyone through life they have these clicks, and then I had a click. Then it clicked to me that it was right to go back to New York. It was right to pursue this poetry that I wanted to do, and I felt like I've done that chapter of being in São Paulo and doing my thing there. So I came back to New York and I told my agency, I said, "Look, give me a couple of weeks you know, or a month so I can finish this project." And I finished the project. I did a about. 79 portraits of different random people that I bump into, that I find on the street, ex-models, friends, models, every weird people in New York, and I did a whole series of portraits that I was really happy with. And again, still the times where you shoot, you take it to the lab, you develop the film, and you look at the images, you edit the images, and you go to the dark room and you print them. I'm not talking, you know, like, it's not like you shoot, look behind the camera, I like this or not. Right, once you take a shot, it's done. <clears throat> it's done, and you have to wait for, like, a couple of days before you see that shot again. Yeah. So the process was way more, it was slower, but it's also, like, in a way, very accurate to me, because there was no, there was no way to react in the moment. You have to really be present, take that photo, and then get it done. How many uh, photos do you think out of a roll would be good? It depends, like, uh, 
usable? Well, I usually just choose one. Like the the camera that I used to to photograph was a Pentax six seven, so it's a big negative and it only gives ten frames a roll. So after using that so many times, I knew that my good roll, my good image would be like somewhere in the middle. Like you start somewhere and then by the, the click number five, you mm-hmm. start to hit the spot and then the click number nine. Yeah, because cameras in. back then, they didn't have autofocus. No, everything's yeah. manual. No. So it was all manual. Everything's manual. You just had manual. to set it up and your apertures. and. Oh, yeah, and you're reacting in real time too. The light would change. You had to like correct your aperture mm-hmm. right there. The person you photograph move back you have to manually focus again there's no you know everything was pretty yeah you have to be on it so anyway so i i sent the out of the seven 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 plus 80 portraits i shot i selected 22 mm-hmm. and i made a, a series and I, and I and i submitted that series to many festivals around the world photography festival and i got selected to a very prestigious one in france it's a yes mm-hmm. It's a festival in the south of France that a lot of good people go to. And I got selected to the festival, and I went down there, invited by the festival, and you sit down and you talk to, like, the judge, which is people from different corners of the world. They work in photo magazines, they work in galleries, and work in the industry, and they come into... They look at your work, they look at your portfolio, they interview you, mm-hmm. and they want to know how you see and what's the idea behind the images. Long story short, I end up like getting the, the, the prize for the festival. I end up like winning the festival, the special prize of the jury. Wow. And then after that, I went back to New York and the phone started to ring, you know, and I got a bunch of jobs and I, my career started back then. And, and, and it's always funny because if you're a freelance, you know, like I remember the first year I made a lot of money. And then I was like, yeah, this is going to be great. I'm going to be rich and everything's going to be fine. But then I took time off, I went surfing, I went to Indonesia. You can't take time off when you're hot. And then I came back and it's like, who? Baba who? Yeah. Step back in the back of the line, kids. Start all over again. Yeah. And then, you know, it took me a while to figure that out and and then also to find that balance of, of, you know, being able to to take great photos and have a good lifestyle and at the same time, you know, be on it because I really feel like you have to keep a good balance because like here, for instance, I come to Hawaii and I'm kind of in vacation here. I have my camera on me, but I'm not, you know. Well, you were working your tail off last week. Yeah, but it's also like in in New York. If I'm in New York and work mode all the time, I'm a daylight photographer. I'm a location photographer. I don't use a camera in New York ever. It's not like I walk around the streets trying to do street photography. Mm -hmm. So I'm in New York, like seeing people making, you know, contact and seeing galleries and seeing what people are doing and being in the business and networking. But I don't really technically press the button in New York. I have to come to places like here. Right. And when you get here, like, okay, you work a little bit and then you have a little bit of a lifestyle and then you have some fun. So I feel like you have to find a balance of like, you know, mixing the both so you can keep your work fresh and relevant. Were you in New York during 9-11? Yes. And what was your first thing? Reaction? Did you grab your camera? I did. I actually have photographs of the of the second building coming down. Right. I was sleeping. My my girlfriend at the time called me, and I was sleeping. And the, the the answer machine picked up, and I could hear her voice saying, "Hey, if you're sleeping, wake up," because I just turned on the news, and somebody just flew an airplane into the World Trade Center, and I think it's a great photograph right now. How far away were you from that? I was downtown. I was on on Fourth Street which is, I don't know if you guys know much about New York, but like, 
If I was on a bicycle, if I rode my bike for about seven minutes, I'll be right there. Huh. Seven to ten minutes, I'll be right there. So, and keep in mind that the World Trade Center was were they were like a mile high. Right. You could see so those, you, see you could you could see it from anywhere. From New Jersey. It's kind of like you know in Kona, you're looking back and you you can't escape that volcano. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like good looking mm-hmm. back. Okay. There it is. Yeah. So. Regardless, I grabbed my camera. First instinct was grab my camera and, and then riding my bicycle down as, as close as I could get. And it was wild because it's actually one of the craziest memories I have because, um, well, New York is very loud, naturally. Right. So imagine that city with every single fire engine, every it's single ambulance chaos. going off. Right. Everyone, all of them. Not one, not two. All of them, midtown, downtown, uptown, Brooklyn, all, all of them in the city going down there. So at that point, like there was not even like a traffic uh, direction. There were cars going the wrong way at Broadway. There were people There's shouting. People trying to get out. People trying to get out. And I remember that as far as down that I got, it was about four blocks below Canal, which is pretty fucking close. And then people said, it's going gonna, it's gonna to break, it's going to break. And then the first building came down came down and there was a cloud of smoke so everybody backed up and I backed up and I went back to Canal and I just stayed there which I found was a safe place to be and then that moment was wild because after that cloud came up Uh you could start see people coming Coming out out. so you would see businessmen like people that went to work and managed to escape Walking uptown on West Broadway, I was on the corner of West Broadway and Canal. They were walking back to work, to homes, whatever, and they were fully dressed, carrying their suitcases, but they were totally, com- they were complete powdered, dusted off, wow. on, and then they were like, they're all white. Right. So imagine like um, hundreds of people walking, and then within those hundreds, there'll be like every now and then, Groups of two, three, or four walking up. That'd be just crazy. But here's the funny part. The ones who were not covered in dust were running. The ones who were covered in dust were walking in shock, in a state of shock. They were walking almost like in slow motion, covered in white. Like a zombie almost. Zombie style, totally. And some of them had cuts. Right. So he had this person like totally like covered in white with like a red dash coming down their clothes. Yeah, because, uh, you know, shrapnel and debris were just flying everywhere. <clears throat> everywhere. Right? And they were in shock. It was, and I remember like that being like the craziest, saddest, weirdest moment of my life by far. Like I was never, I don't think anyone has ever been prepared to endure to see stuff like that. Like people who were... America, the world was not ready for that. Nobody, you know, and then... To me, I mean, because I was photographing, because I was behind the camera, there was a little bit of separation. I have a lot of friends who were there at the time that took a lot of time for them to to get back to reality and, and, and figure things out. I mean, to everyone. Yeah, there was a there was a heavy moment, and I photographed and I shot about four rolls of film. I developed the rolls and I never looked at them. Even to this day. Even to this day. Wow. They're like sealed inside my storage in my files and I never looked at them. Wow, that's heavy. That's really heavy. Yeah. And, that, and that was rolls of film. It, was, it wasn't digital. No, it's there. Wow. Someday somebody, me, maybe 
they're gonna look at it. I know that I have a sequence of the building coming down, and I know they have a few shots of these people walking through. Wow. And I honestly, I don't really feel like I'm gonna go there. Right, right. I don't blame you. That was, that was pretty, pretty heavy, not just for you, but for the whole world. You know? Yeah. But you I know, was, like. I was in Hawaii when that happened. And I remember my mom calling me and saying, You gotta get up. Oh my gosh, we're under, we're under attack. Yeah. And I just turned on the news to see the first building coming down. Yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh. And, you know, it's, it impacted us here big time. In Hawaii, because um, everyone, shut everything down. Everyone, everyone was like, "Oh my God!" You know, and then in a funny way, like that made me fall in love with New York. Right. Everybody laughed. Everybody went home. Everybody went crying. And everybody put their tail behind their legs and went home. And then what I saw that day, the spirit and the fight and the fiber and and, and the the love and the desire to to heal. Right. Well, you you got this massive city with how many people in it? I don't even know millions of people. millions millions of people that pretty much nobody knows each other all of a sudden has this tragic attack happen and it brings almost a sense of community together and it's funny because like New York it's such a mirror of of the state of the world you know because you have people from all corners of the world you have you know Brazilians Indians French, um, British, Europeans, all kinds, all kinds of people there living under the same sky. Mm-hmm. And, and somehow they fight. They fight for what they need. They fight for their dreams because that's what they, gave, they went mm-hmm. there for. But they, 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 they socialize. They, they help each other. They, mm-hmm. they look after each other. You know, like New York has that thing, you know, where, where it, it's an intensity. I've never been there. It's an intense city. It's it's crazy. It it is it is something out of out of a fiction, but it does have that as well. You no, know? the, the it brings out the best in you in in, in every situation. If you want to pursue a career, you go push yourself there, and you're gonna find the elements and and the competition and and the toughness and and the and the elements that you will make you a better professional whatever you do because you're going to be there and it's going to be the guy who's way better than you and you you're going to up your game mm-hmm. um and at the same time like if you need help if you need love if you need you know like the, it, it gives you like this sort of like international family that people look after each other and 9-11 was a big uh, part of that to me like uh, i saw something there and i lived something there and and the the, the aftermath of that people that I know recovering and coming back to to reality was was life changing for me. So where did you go from there? <clears throat> I stayed. I stayed in the city, and then there were a couple of months of like people trying what's going to happen next, and business went down, and nobody was really working. But it was a time where you know future or past or and, and nothing really mattered. You know what, mm-hmm. what mattered was to be present and to heal and to try to make sense of what is to be alive. Do you think New York is healed? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I feel like that's the thing. Like, it gives you thicker skin when you overcome something like that, a traumatic experience. Everyone, every one of us have it, you know? Do you think the people of New York are, are more aware of what's going on around them now? The, I feel like the world is looking. 
you know, hey, are, are we looking for people that are shady? Uh, no, there's always like the weirdos on the street and then all that. Just you know? too many everybody, yeah, everybody. I mean, if you walk around the streets in New York, everyone is suspicious. <laughs> right. I know I would walk into New York and they'd be like, who the hell is this long hair? Yeah. But, um, so, you know, let's, let's go fast forward a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, what kind of accomplishments and awards are you, we, we know about the awards you won in France? Did yeah, you, I've, you know, awards? yeah, after that, like, there's been, like, you know, a, a lot of commercial work, a lot of, like, advertising, and uh-huh. I've won awards in Cannes for that, and but that, that doesn't really make, mean anything to me, because... You know, what, what, what is special to you? In, in what sense? In, you know, those awards don't mean anything to you. What, what is special for you in your life? Um... What is it? What makes Baba happy? Friends. Yeah. My friends are my family. My family and, and, and the people around me, and then exchanging ideas and, and, and learning from them. Mm-hmm. That to me is a very. It gives me a really good buzz, you know. Mm-hmm. And I feel like just because I, I was fortunate enough to have that in many different corners and different cultures. It keeps me really like stoked on being alive and, and, and keep doing what I'm doing. You know, like I come here to Hawaii, I catch up with my Hawaiian friends and my, my, my family here in Hawaii. And I now, you're shaping surfboards now too, aren't you? I <laughs> see you're always shaping your own boards. Sometimes you come out with some funky shit. Um, surfing has always been a part of my life and I don't think I'd escape from it. You know, mm-hmm. I love surfing since the day that I saw the first guy surfing and the first day that I surfed myself. And... and um, surfboards are 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 amazing like surfboards are you could put a lot of thought into it but just the fact that you can ride like it's an object that it's built to ride waves you know, like a natural force mm-hmm. and and they have this sort of like a emotional value and and you 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 think about what you want to do and the ways you want to ride and how it's, how the, how that's going to feel and how you want to feel about it. Then you then you translate that into a form, and then you experiment that form riding another uh, source of of energy. I mean, everything is abstract in that sense. You know, if you really put it into like a philosophy, it's like, oh, well, how do I how do I how do I get to like you know feel the speed and the lift and, 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 and the hydrodynamics of gliding down an ocean swell mm-hmm. and how you know surfboards are a trip to me like I don't think there's any object or any other sport that have that um, sort of a possibility you know you could have guys building hang glides or you can have people building snowboards or, or, or kayaks or whatever but nothing is as sensitive and as a perfect um way to 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 experience the force of, of, of nature in first hand and I feel like surfboards are the vehicles to, to make you do that so I don't know I just feel like in looking at them they are this amazing object themselves so I hydrodynamics and surfboards I are I you know some guys yeah, collect I see you playing around with all different styles and shapes yeah I mean you know at, and I really in the shaping room yeah, yeah I, my boards suck they're really bad but I look at, but I've made, I haven't rode one yet. No, I've made about maybe thirty yeah, by now. That, sit right there. I yeah, I am I never ride. gonna sell a surfboard. <laughs> I will make boards. Everyone that wants a surfboard, but I never sell one. Um, it's not my business, but I love it. You know, like I have probably. What's like, your favorite surfboard? <clears throat> if you're gonna go out and buy a surfboard right now, 
It depends. I actually fire, every, fire, time, every time every time I come every time I come to Hawaii, I make a bunch of boards. Um, what do you write here in Hawaii? Socorros? No, I mean Hawaii. I just got an Al Shepman. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Have a Bonzer, Campbell. The Bonzer. Yeah, twin fing Bonzer that uh, Jacob uh, Campbell shaped for me. Uh-huh. I also have one board called um, A Track from this kid called Marshall Crumb that he shaped it. Um, but what were you riding the other day? When I when I first pulled up and I saw you the other day, you were getting out of the water at Waimea Bay. I was riding a, a nine to two crows. Yeah, it was about 10 to 12 feet. Yeah. It was a really good day, super glassy. Yeah, he's small, small. So a small Waimea. A small Waimea, you know. But fun. But still super fun. You know, 10 to 12 yeah. feet anything yeah. is challenging. Yeah, it's also like the only place you get to ride a board that is like that, you know, so you get to play around. Yeah, I, I, I like to ride all kinds of boards and, and, you know, I like to try surfing sometimes, understanding what the board wants you to do, what you're supposed to be doing with that board. I mean, some boards you want to go down the line, some boards want to go top to bottom. I'm not much of a top to bottom surfer, but, you know, some boards are like to get barreled. Right. I like all kinds, like... Um, and I like where boards are going now, the change of materials, the new technologies, you know, firewire. Eco-friendly. Eco-friendly, you know, firewire, and then Kelly's mm-hmm. got a, this new thing going on. I, we went to Tavaro, I was uh, riding a Tomo that right. I really enjoyed. That's what I ride. Yeah, I really enjoyed that board. And it's like, if you look at the board, does it look like a surfboard? It would look like five years ago or 10 years ago. Well, you see the one I'm riding right now? It looks like a wakeboard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they look at them like, what is this? And then you ride the board like, wow, it's just such a fun board, you know? And then that's, that's what it is to me. Like, hydrodynamics are my favorite hobby. Like, try to understand and try to play and making boards about it. That's, that's kind of like what I do with my extra time. Now, you know, talking about surfboard shapes and designs you know, and talking about, like, the board I ride, uh, most people are going to be riding a board that is, uh, it's got a nose on it, okay? It comes into a point mm-hmm. right at the front. But these new ones have these blunt shapes. And it, it just goes to show you, do we really need those noses on boards? What's what's the reasoning behind that? Yeah, what's I, your I idea as a, as a person that shapes surfboards? I don't, I'm not a shaper. I, I I feel like there are ways that you need the nose, you know? Like they need speed, they need something that would cut through the chop and... and, and and get you fast down the line. And then there are boards that need something that has like a lot of lift immediately on the mm-hmm. very um, top part of the board, you know. Um, and they'll also like being a wider nose will allow you to have a more parallel outline, which makes your rails a little more um, dynamic and faster mm-hmm. as you're doing your turn. So, all, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a balance of a lot of things. And again, I'm not a shaper. I'm not an expert. I just... Uh, as I a, just as see a, as that a, you're playing around with it. Yeah, it's a hobby that I really want to learn more. Right. And, 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 and I'm curious. And you're a really good surfer. You know, we travel all over the world together and, and surf some really, really good waves. And I'm not a really good surfer. I, I, I mean, thanks for thinking you, it, seeing me that way. I just like to ride waves. And I'm, you know, like I, I'm... Look, I if I was living in a place, which is this is a question that I don't ask myself. If I was living in a place that I would allow me to surf twice a week, I feel like I'd be having a good time. Uh, and when I get to the water, but I live in because sometimes you go months without surfing. I go like for like months without surfing. Yeah, and then it takes me like about four days to like even realize how I'm gonna stand up on the board. Get your paddling on. Yeah, exactly. And it's then, amazing how you can lose. <clears throat> you know the shape that you're in really quick yeah. 
once you stop surfing for a few months. Yeah, you, you everything goes out the window. Like you're sitting down behind a computer, editing images. You're like looking at a screen for like eight hours a day. You know, and then you got a trip coming up, and then you somehow try to prepare. But so, what kind of uh, trips have you done this this last year? A lot of photo shoots. Mostly photo shoots. A lot of trips to New York to you know business and all that. And stuff. You're always back and forth from Brazil to New York. Yeah. Um, are you going any other place in the world? You know, I know you're going to the Dominican Republic. Next yeah, week. I want to. I want to travel a little different this year. You know, like there's a few places that are coming to my radar that I want to maybe try to go somewhere. Some places in Central America. Mm-hmm. Some places in South America, which are very fast and easy to to go in and out like a strike mission mm-hmm. and then some places really far like I have not been in Australia in 10 years I have not been in in Indonesia in 20 in 10 years you know so I, yeah. I, want, I want to maybe travel a little far and then I, I don't know like I feel like I need to do one good sort of like a cultural trip mm-hmm. that has nothing to do with surfing and then I have to do maybe maybe two good surf trips mm-hmm. <laughs> And then one snow trip a year. Well, you're always on a good surf trip with me. So <laughs> yeah, well, we got that one going. That one's going really well. Um, is Have you ever thought of creating a book yeah, this on is, your photography? This is why I've been spending a lot of time in Sao Paulo. I have people working with me on three different projects. Um, one is a book, the one about Hawaii, that's pretty much in, in final stages right now. Mm-hmm. There's another one that I've been photographing skate parks around the world. Mm-hmm. I actually just shot two, shot two skate parks here in Hawaii. Oh, wow. And, uh, You've got some on the big island. Too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, like I'm, you know, going around and, and trying to document a couple of, of, of things around here. But, yeah, the, the book is coming up next year. I mean, the end of this year. So I'm working on that. And now, do you have a website or anything that people can go and look at your work? <clears throat> yeah, it's it's vavaribeiro dot com. It's v a v a r i b e i r o dot com. And, and we'll have links to that on the website. So if you guys just go to dozenose dot com, um, you'll be able to see whatever Vava's been doing his whole life. Um, what kind of camera are you shooting right now? All kinds. Like it's it's uh, here in Hawaii. I usually when I'm doing my own work, I shoot with film cameras, the original uh-huh. ones that I used to shoot. The retro ones, yeah. Not retro. Yeah, film cameras, not oh. a digital. So it's like a roll right. of film. Um, I shoot medium format, so Mamiya six seven uh-huh. or a Pentax six seven. That's mm-hmm. usually the two that I'm working on. Okay. And if you were to go digital, modern modern style? Yeah, when I'm working for jobs and my commercial photography or, you know, you have to have everything um, happening in front of you as you shoot, I mm-hmm. shoot Canon. Okay. Um, do you, we're going to kind of wrap this up here, but do you have any advice that you can give to any, any up-and-coming photographers? You know, they're trying to start out. They they want to do what you do. Um, any advice that you can give them? Yeah. Right. Right. Yes. Okay. You want to... It just, just, you know, I'll, I'll, I always, this is always something that helps me when I'm trying to come up with something. Like, I get like a post-it. Uh-huh. And I write words that describe what I'm trying to say, what I'm trying to photograph. Okay. You know, you put like words like 
dreamy, um, surf, um, midday light, high contrast. You try to like find words that describe what you're trying to do and then you stick to those words and every time you look into the frame of the camera, if it doesn't have any of those words, if it doesn't have one or two of those words or what you're seeing, that's not what you should be photographing. So that will help you to create a criteria of where you want to go with it. You know, if you're doing a documentary photography, if you're doing a fashion photography, you're doing fashion photography, you look, you want, to, well, you want to have someone beautiful, you want to have a good light, and you want to have, make sure what they're wearing is nice. So if you look to the camera, the girl does not look beautiful, the light looks wrong, and she's wearing something ugly, that's not your picture. It, it, it's not, it doesn't help if you press the trigger. You have to like stop, put the camera away, change the girl or get some stuff done, change her clothes, find a better light, and then you shoot it. Different angles. Exactly. Yeah. So words are, are what's going to make you, your mind, um, wake up to, to what you're trying to do. And then what, they should probably go and befriend a good photographer, help them learn. Off yeah. Of that and well, you know the technique. The technique start off as an assistant as well. Yeah, like the technique part. Obviously, you have to have it. You know, but the technique part is just like learning how to use a program on a computer. It's right. not a big deal. Like learning about how f stops and shutter speeds interact. It's very basic principle. Um, once you have that done, which will take about a week to figure that out, then you want to start exercising on top of that. Mm-hmm. But if what's what's happening in front of you, it's not good. No matter how good is your camera, how how sharp is your technique, that's not going to look good. Right. So learning how to direct, how to put in front of you, or how to put yourself in a place where the things that you want to photograph are happening, are the hardest part to me. Gotcha. So work on that. You know. Learn how to use a camera. Learn, learn how to use a tool, which is a camera. Once that's done, then start writing. Start reading books and start to like come up with like a journal that will help you find your own vision. Mm-hmm. And once you find that, you stay there. Are you ever looking for assistance? <clears throat> yes, but they're all women now. I'm only working with girls on my team. I don't blame you. <laughs> you mean I can't be your assistant? No. I think you offered me that assistant hey, by, by the a way, while ago. <laughs> By the way, you guys are listening to this. It's funny because if you close your eyes and listen to those or talk, you feel like, I don't know what kind of picture will come to your mind, but to mine is somewhere close to a very white kind of person. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got that a lot. We can whisper sweet music in your ears. I don't know. See, I can't even hey, hey, but here's the deal. Like, I want to know what you guys think that he looks like you should send your comments and then uh yeah send your know. comments into toes nose but unfortunately you're going to be able to see pictures all over me <laughs> all over social media and my webpage, and yeah you'll be able to see how long my hair is and <laughs> you'll be able to see the webcast on the gopro channel as well he too. does not so, look like very white no absolutely not i i get a lot of fabio Dave Wassel's actually got this picture so whenever I call in it's Fabio dressed as Santa there you go oh my gosh (laughs) I'm just like really dude come on (laughs) but anyway so Bob I want to thank you for being part of this Um, my pleasure my honor awesome human being and 
And we've got so many more trips to do together. And next week, Dominican Republic. Shaka to everybody in the Big Island. Shaka to everyone in uh, Oahu. All my friends are there. Yep, and don't forget VavaRibero.com. And there'll be links on the website so that you can go check out his work and maybe hire him for a couple little models. Not yet. I'm going out surfing. (laughs) Later, guys. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great day. Mahalos, and we'll get back with you next week. Aloha. Aloha. Everybody knows those now. 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 Everybody knows those now.